talking about how important prayer is and, and why it's important and the effect that it can have. Um, and I love his explanation in, in Ephesians 6 where he talks about all that. Well, I've always heard about the putting on the armor of God. But to prepare all of that, to put on all that armor so that you can pray shows what a powerful work that it is. And I'm, I'm so thankful he went through that time. And, um, and so this lesson is going to be focused on the nuts and bolts of prayer. It's, it's how, how do we do that? How do we go about getting to where we are having that kind of thriving prayer life, a life that, um, that is so effective and impacts our lives and the lives of the people around us. And I want to go into it um, with a couple of disclaimers. First of all, um, while this is going to be more of a practical class, I, I hope that we don't forget at any point how insane it is that we can even talk about this. That, that prayer is even an option for us. That, that a God, again, who is bigger than anything we can imagine and over everything and created everything sees us and every detail of us and all the mess-ups and all the, the stuff we're ashamed of and embarrassed about that we wouldn't want anyone else to know. And he sees all of that, that whole package and says, that's what I want. That the, a relationship with that person is what I want more than anything else. That's insane. That's amazing. And so while we talk about this from a practical perspective, don't forget, this is such a, we are so privileged to even have a chance to do this. Um, and I'm missing all of that. And the other disclaimer is, um, I am not coming at this from an expert. Prayer has not been a strength of mine. And it has led to consistently um, situations where I have tried to do things on my own steam and have failed out over and over again. And, it, um, and, then, and yet, when I, when I have relied on God, when I have bowed down in prayer, it has gotten me through the hardest moments of my life. It is the only thing that has gotten me through the hardest moments of my life. And so I'm familiar with the power of prayer but it has not been an area of strength for me. And so I, I want to come at this um, as, a, as a fellow pilgrim, as a fellow, um, you know, a fellow person on the journey, a brother in Christ. Um, if you are a prayer rock star, then I praise God for that. I'm really glad. Um, I am guessing because there are enough people in this class, that there are some in here that maybe have some struggles with it as well, um, that it has not been an area of strength. And so... Um, I'm, I want to hit on some basics here and, and go from there. So let's start off with what is prayer. Prayer is, and I'm going to say this a couple times because it's important. Prayer is the process of learning to see through God's eyes and to want what He wants. It's the process of learning, learning to see through God's eyes and to want what He wants. And everything else we're going to talk about in this class is going to be based on that idea. Because prayer is communication. When we think about communication with somebody, that's what you're learning to do, right? And, and that's something that um, when we did, when Crystal and I did pre-marriage counseling with Lynn and Carol, and, and we were learning what it was like, like if you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person, you better figure out how to talk to them. And I didn't realize that I didn't know how to talk to her until they picked some fights and we, we learned that we didn't know how to talk to each other. Um, but, but it was, it was the process of learning how she saw the world. And, and aligning, not necessarily always agreeing or always being able to see everything she could see, but at least learning how to respect and appreciate that and anticipate some of that. Um, and that's really what we're doing with God, except He's always right. That's the major difference. When you communicate with another person, they might be wrong sometimes. And so you're, you're both trying to give and take and all that. When, when you're communicating with God, He's always right. And so 
so it's not so much him trying to blend into you, it's very much us trying to blend into him and, and learning to see things the way he sees them and to want the things that he wants. And when we do start to see the world through God's eyes, it, it helps us to see what's right. It helps us to see what's important and unimportant. It helps us to see what's overlooked. It helps us to acquire wisdom. And wisdom, as the Bible defines it, um, and Clinton West, you guys did a great job talking about wisdom yesterday, but wisdom is the ability to see the world as God sees it and to know how to apply that knowledge in your context. Right? So it's, it's the ability to see things as God sees them and then to exercise those things. And so a fool is someone who doesn't try to see things God's way, who just stumbles through the world and does things on their own steam. And someone who is wise is someone who tries to see things God's way and then apply that knowledge and, and bless the people around them with it. And so seeing the world from God's perspective helps us on a lot of different levels. You know, when we praise Him, we think about what we do in prayer. When we praise Him, it reminds us of how big God is and how small we are. Right? I think about it, Psalms 8, 3-4, where it says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? Right? It's important to remember how big our God is and how small we are, because when the problems seem huge, and when it seems like the world is crashing down on us, I need to know how big my God is. Right? That's an important thing. And when we see the world through his eyes, then we remember how big he is. When we confess, right? Confession is part of prayer. We open up about who we are. Confession reminds us how much we need God's forgiveness. And we need to remind ourselves of that all the time. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Um, Jesus tells a parable about um, a, a tax collector and a, a Pharisee. And the Pharisee comes up and he's He's like, thank God I'm not like that guy, right? Like, I didn't screw up like that guy. I'm so glad that I have this awesome relationship with God, and I, I give all my money, and you know, I'm so glad I'm not messed up like him. And then the tax collector comes and hits his knees and says, um, God, I don't even want to look up at you. He, he couldn't even lift his eyes, and he just said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the man who went away justified. And it's important for us, it, it helps us to keep from getting a big head and, and keep from staying humble and to accept um, healing. You know, there's a, um, there's a cool quote I read that said, that only he who is helpless can pray. And I think that when we, confession allows us to strip away some of the facade of the house. Because truly, we are messed up, right? Like we all have sin, we all have flaws, we all need correction. Um, and if we're not seeing the world through God's eyes, we can forget that. Um, and then when we make requests, because we ask God for things, right? I love when Jesus prays, and, uh, and it says, um, and it's so humble, it says, You should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's such a humble place to come where I just need everything. I need protection. I need what I'm going to eat tomorrow. And I think, you know, when we forget how much we need God, then we get into trouble. Starving people do not need reminders to eat a meal, right? Like we can, I have the luxury, I can go a day or most of a day and skip a meal and maybe not even notice it because I was distracted, right? If you are starving, you don't forget to eat. Right? And so we need to remember how much we need God because we are starving and we're starving on the inside and if we don't remember that, um, then we can get away from relying on Him as much as we need to. 
Um, and so prayer helps us to see the world through God's eyes. And one thing that gets asked a lot is, does prayer change anything? And I don't have time to tackle all of that. The short answer is yes. Prayer very much does change things. Um, it changes us dramatically, and that's what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today. Um, but it also changes God's mind. And you see God change his mind in Scripture repeatedly um, because of the prayers of his people. And not in a manipulative, like, uh, if I pray right, he's always going to change his mind kind of way. You know, I think about it like with my children. When my children ask me for things, I always want to give it to them. Like, I always want to give them what they want. But why can't I give them everything I, everything they want? That's for you guys. Why can't I give my kids everything they want? They'd be awful, right? <laughs> They'd be little demons running around. Because they don't know what they need, right? And I, I have sweet kids. I'm thankful for that. They wouldn't be sweet for very long. And, and I just... God, that's how God is with us. He sees the bigger picture. He sees everything. And there's times when we ask for things and it's just not what's needed at the moment for so many reasons. God's working things on a cosmic level. He's got His hands in everything. And He's moving so many pieces for so many different reasons. And we can't, even though we're trying to see things out of His eyes, it doesn't mean we always can. And so... Ultimately, even if prayer doesn't help us see completely the big picture in God's eyes, we've got to keep moving and trust that He does see it. And my kids have to rely on me and say, you know, I don't understand why I can't have that, but Dad knows, and I'm going to have to trust that. And that's the kind of discipline we've got to have in prayer is to say, look, Dad's got it. Like, Dad sees the big picture. And if I separate from Him, if my kids decide, you know what, Dad doesn't have this thing figured out, I'm going to go my own way, right? My, my, Six-year-old son of Eli like, walks out the door and says, "Forget this, man. I'm going to figure this out." <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that does not. That story does not end well. And I think about that with with us, with God, and we're like, yeah, "Why can't I have that? I can have that. I'm going to go get that, right?" And, and that's why Jesus says something like, "I am the vine, and you are the branches." John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because he can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. If a vine, or if a branch on a vine is a piece out, I'm going to do my own thing. What happens to that branch? It's gone, right? It does, it does nothing after that. It just dies. And that's what we've got to remember when we're praying. That's prayer. Prayer is that connection to that source of life that is God. And it allows us to, again, to see things His way and to just trust even if we don't see things His way. So I mentioned earlier that prayer has carried me through the hardest times in my life, and that's true. And I also said that I'm really bad at it, that I'm, I'm bad at remembering to do that. That makes no sense, right? How can those two things be true? How can I know from experience that the only way I've made it through my hardest moments is to hit my knees and pray to God, and I know how good it feels to be in God and to be completely reliant on Him, and... I don't do it. Right? That makes no sense. Anybody relate to that feeling? Anybody here? Okay, that's that's insane. That doesn't make sense that that's true. And it just shows you that there is spiritual warfare going on. And so we, when you have to ask, you know, when you ask someone, if you get in a, I know that a lot of our ministries here, we get a little deeper with each other. Uh, but in a typical church setting, if you ask a large group, what are you struggling with? There's going to be two things that almost everyone in the circle says. What do they say? Praying and... Yeah, reading scripture, right? Reading scripture and praying. 
almost everyone will say that. Why is that the universal answer? It's safe because everyone struggles with that. <laughs> like, hey, it's not very good. Nobody's going to be like, you know, <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, like, everybody struggles with it. And so it's, it's safe in a way, but that's, that's so wrong. Like, that's so horrible that that's the case. Like, that, that that's the one thing everyone can say they struggle with is prayer. Is what if, what if you went to a marriage seminar and the one thing everyone could agree on was I never speak to my spouse, right? <laughs> that's, that's not good. No one would be like, oh, that's normal. Fair enough. You know, no, it's, that's craziness. How do you expect to have a, a healthy relationship if the one thing you struggle with is you never talk to the other person in the relationship, except when you're in crisis, right? And, and I say that again as a fellow struggler. Like, I, I feel you on that. It doesn't make any sense, and it, and it just goes to show that we are in a battle. And I would argue, and, and I want to camp out on this for a minute, I would argue that the main weapon that Satan is using right now in this battle is idolatry in the form of distraction and escape. I think that the number one weapon that, in my experience in ministry and in my life, the number one weapon that, that Satan is using is that it has become so normal for us to rely on distraction and escape for comfort, that we don't even know what we've lost. We busy ourselves with, with constant stimulation, um, whether that's entertainment or activity, you know, filling our schedules, having something on in the background, that we just fill ourselves with constant stimulation, and we don't even, it's so normal that we don't even realize what it does to us. And I want to ask you guys, what's been your, when you want to escape, when you want, when you're feeling bad and you just need to like unplug for a little bit, what's your, what's your go-to escape? Mine's, um, I podcasts. I love podcasts. I don't know if you guys know what those are, but I'll, I'll have something on all the time. And, and, uh, and so like I'm, I'm giving my kids a, a bath and I've got a, I'm listening to PTI in the background, you know, I'm, I'm out, you know, mowing the yard, I'm listening to some, you know, history show or whatever. Like I'm, I just have something on all the time. What's your go-to escape for Star Wars, right? Um, watching like a cartoon or something that has you don't have to think at all. Yeah, it's some mindless cartoon. Yeah, just sing some SpongeBob songs. I think you find music, music for sure, right? YouTube, YouTube. Oh, uh, it was the thing. Rabbit hole, you know. What sleep? Yeah, for sure. Right, sleep. Anime. What's that? Daydreaming, right? It's just sports, anything, right? It can be clubs, it can be active. We've got, we've got students that would, in Tallahassee, would just load their schedules. They're part of like two sororities or fraternities, or, you know, they're, they're on the chess team, they're on everything, you name it. Like, they've got everything you can think of, right? And, and they've got to get going on. Um, and so, um, reflection has been replaced by boredom. And so, what we used to call, what, what people used to think of, when there wasn't an easy way to fill your time with stimulus. That was called reflection. That was called thinking time. You know, it was, it was a time to actually let the empty space in your mind be filled with thoughts that are productive and meaningful. And now we call that boredom. I'm bored. You know, I, I need something to do. I don't have anything to do. That's a boredom is a first word in our house. You're not allowed to say I'm bored. That's not, that's not allowed. I know, I will give you something. You've heard that before, right? Like, I've, I've turned into this I'll give you something new. Yeah, I've like, like become that. I, I accept that. No. But it, 
it's a shame that that's the case because, and again, I feel you on this, but imagine trying to write a 40-page paper and the whole time you've got a few people trying to have hold a conversation with you while you're writing that paper, right? Like imagine people like actively trying to engage you in their conversation while you're trying to get this paper done. It's due like by midnight, right? That's, it's, I think about what that would turn out. You know, it'd be shallow, it'd be, you'd repeat things, you know, it would take forever. Sometimes, you ever notice, like, sometimes you accidentally start typing what they're saying? Yeah. <laughs> 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 you just pray that in the editing process, someone will come along and you, like, realize that I typed in, like, you know, the latest, or how they, what they thought about solo, you know, in my, in my biology paper. Um, and I, you look at some of the, I, I, I love history. I'm, I love uh, listening to things about history and, and reading things about history. And you look at some of the letters that people wrote some of those letters that soldiers write like the Civil War and World War One, and they, they write back to their family and they're, they're so eloquent. It's, I mean, it's incredible like the, the feeling in them and the, the depth of thought and some of the things that they thought about. And and I just, we don't, you just don't see it very often anymore. And it's because they had time to think about stuff. They had time to reflect on what their family meant to them and, and to think about life. And, and I feel like we just shoot from the hip all the time. I feel like we just walk around spouting off these half-formed thoughts with 100% confidence, right? Like with absolute conviction. And we haven't thought about, I mean, one of the things I saw about Lynn that was so effective when I first joined the ministry in Tampa was he would just ask, he would just take people down the road. Like they would say something and he'd say, let's go there, right? Let's take that two, four steps and see where that goes. And they hit a wall every time. They fall off a cliff because they didn't, They'd never taken it two more steps. They just heard something like, that sounds cool. Let's do that. Let's base my life around that. And that's really where we go so often because we don't take time because we're bored all the time. And so we fill this blank space with entertainment and escape and release instead of reflection. And, and I think that's really shallowed out our, our faith and somebody in our relationships. You see in the relationships, we don't have time to talk to each other because we're staring at screens all the time and, and our idea of bonding is like staring straight ahead. You know, we base our churches on that. There's churches where the only interaction you have with your brothers and sisters is staring straight ahead at somebody talking, right? And then you go home. And, and it, it just it's shallowed out so much of our, our relationships with each other and with God. You know, I, I was on a road trip one time and, uh, and Wes Waddell was in the car. And, uh, and so we're driving, I'm unfamiliar with the area, it's pouring rain, I've got to get off on this exit. I'm in Arkansas, I don't know how many of you guys have driven on the highways in Arkansas, but they, have, they make these cool little death tracks where when you get off on the exit, you have to cross over oncoming traffic with a yield sign to get off. It's insane, I've never seen anything like it, it's like they're designed to kill people. And so I get off on a death trap, and the music's playing, and I turn the volume down so that I can pay attention to what I'm doing. And I don't know why I do it, because my vision is not in any way as far as I'm linked to my ears. Uh, I turn the volume down so that I can see where I'm going on this dead, rainy death trap. And Wes, in classic Wes fashion, locks eyes with me and cranks it up. <laughs> I, was so, I was filled with a fury that words cannot describe. <laughs> And I, and I, I read it least after that. I, I did some research. Well, it's not cool. We, we figured it out. He's still a jerk. Um, 
not the only weirdo who turns the radio down that we've got to navigate. Like, I guess it's a common thing, but it's true. And I read and they did research on it, they did scientific research on it. There, there is a, that, um, I think somebody might have mentioned this in a class at some point um, a couple years back, but that we don't truly multitask, that, that our attention is what they call a zero-sum game. And we can flip back and forth really quickly between things that we're, we're paying attention to, but you're not really paying full attention to two things at once. And so when we need to get off on a death trap, i got to turn the radio down. Okay, what does that mean for our relationship with God when there's always other stimulation? What does it mean when I can't be in a quiet room with God? What does that mean for my relationship with Him? It means that I'm never really paying attention to Him. And again, think about it in terms of like a relationship, like a friendship or a marriage. What if, you know, you have a friend who, like every time you talk to them, they're looking down at their phone. You know, it, it's uh, the, the smartwatch, the Apple Watch thing. It really freaks me out. Every time I'm out to lunch with a friend with a, an Apple Watch, I'm like, do you need to be somewhere? Because they're like, constantly looking at it. Like, am I bothering you? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I'm getting texts, man. I'm so sorry. I'm getting texts. I've got to look at it. I'm getting texts. Oh, don't look. It's, it's freaking me out. <laughs> it's, it's just, we have to, we, we feel the buzz in our pocket. And I'm like, I have to answer that. I'm, I'm, in, I'm twitching. <coughs> I can't not look at it. There is always this other stimulation. And, and God says, and He says it repeatedly, and there's a reason He says it. He says, Be still and know that I am God. Right? Just be still. Take a deep breath. There's times that I have a, a job where I'm on the phones all day. And there's times where I'm just making call after call after call, and, and then it, there's a little break, and I got to do something, and I'll just, I'll just breathe in. I didn't even realize I hadn't been breathing. I just like involuntarily take this deep breath in. I'm like I was oxygen deprived, and I didn't even know it. And that's how it is with God. Sometimes we've got to just breathe in. Stop stressing out. He says, be still. He puts the two things together. He doesn't just say be still. He says, be still and know that I am God. The fact that I am God is what allows you to be still. You are not what keeps this world spinning. And if you stop your frantic scrambling for everything you have to do, the world will continue to rotate. Right? It, it will keep spinning. It will keep circling the sun. It did it before you were here. It will do it after you're gone. Be still and know that I am God. And that is so hard. It is so hard to release it's so hard to let go of feeling like, as someone who loves being in control, it is so hard to release and know that He is God and just be still for a while. But it's absolutely necessary. I love, I, I went to a client uh, the other day and he was talking about Psalm 23. And he said, God will make you lie down in the green pastures whether you think you need to or not. <laughs> the times when, uh, you know, we're like, oh, that sounds really nice to lay in a meadow. You know, but if we're, if we're, if we're driving all the time, God will put you in that meadow. You know, whether you want to be there or not. And He will make you lay down. And sometimes with some circumstances that are a little tough to deal with. And uh, I love Jesus. Jesus didn't have to be made to lay down and be still. In Mark 1, 35-38, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He got up, went out, and made His way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. And of course, this always happens after. Simon and his companion searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone's looking for you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that happens every time. And, and then he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. 
And so Jesus got away to a deserted place. He wasn't doing anything else. He didn't have anything on the iPad or on the iPhone. Right? He wasn't doing other things. He just took time to be still and know that God is God. And from that, he got his mission. From that, he knew what he needed to do next. There is spiritual warfare going on, and Satan wants you to crave distraction. He wants you to crave escape. And we teach ourselves to do that. And we've got to break the cycle. We've got to break out of that. Um, Jesus does not appreciate taking holy spaces and devoting them to worldly purposes. Um, you know, I think about in, uh, in the temple, when Jesus came to the temple and there were money changers in there, and it says, He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Our body is a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. That's right. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes in and sees that it is a den of thieves, when he comes in and sees that, that all of our attention is devoted to worldly things, he's going to flip some tables, right? Like that's not going to be, that's not a, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, right? We should be known as places that are houses of prayer. Um, and so instead of focusing on all these other things, we need to focus on things that are fruitful. Um, I love Philippians 4, 8 through 9. And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't have time through the day to sit around and think about what's lovely and commendable and honorable. I don't make the time. So many times, I just, I just run out of time. I go through my whole day and I haven't spent five minutes thinking about what's lovely and honorable and commendable and, and worthy. Right? We've got to make that time and focus on those things. So how do we get started? Three, come on up. All right. All right. Stay there. Be ready. All right. You guys can it right there. No, that's perfect. Right like that. Okay. Are you guys familiar with trust calls? Yes, okay, all right, so, you know, we can stand up, we need to stand up, okay. So the trust fall is this, right? This. Okay, thank you so much. There you go. That's it? Yeah, that's it, that's it, that's all. <laughs> all right, so the trust fall is, you see friends do this with each other, and I, I meant to warn someone ahead of time so I could just do it more uh, dramatically, but it didn't work out, so I'm forgetful. But, um, you, I had friends in high school that trust fall, they just fall, like they know you're standing next to them. And, and you wanted to know that you had friends that would actually catch you and not like let you fall and laugh at you. I had a buddy and uh, we were at some kind of like honor ceremony in Dutchman and he locked his knees. You know you're not supposed to lock your knees at wedding ceremonies and stuff. He locked his knees and he passed out. And my very, our very good friend turned <laughs> and this let him hit the floor. <laughs>
the problems that we run into when we're trying to build a good prayer life, when we're battling these distractions is, I have leaned on these things to catch me for my whole life. Right? I, from early on in my life, I, I leaned on distractions to catch me when I was falling, to free me from the pain of breakups and failures and insecurities. And they, they would just go away for a while. Because I could, I could sit down and, and read books and watch a show and, um, and then later on look at porn and, and mess around with girlfriends and like it's stuff that was an escape because I didn't have to deal with all that stuff I was feeling in that time. And I've leaned on that for so long. Like that's what I knew would catch me. And so to leave some of that behind is super scary. To leave some of that behind makes you nervous, and it made me nervous. So to prepare for this lesson, um, I took some time away from that stuff. I, I unplugged for a while and stopped multitasking. And I wasn't perfect at it, sometimes I forget. Um, but as much as I could, I really tried to unplug. And it, it, I got twitchy. Honestly, like, I got real nervous about it. I, I just, it's weird having um, Ashley talk about up here. Uh, like Mallory was so weird because she didn't turn on the radio when she turned on the car. You know, I had, I'd have friends in high school. I didn't, I didn't grow up listening to the radio in the car. They, they thought I was a serial killer or something. I just like walk, drove around in silence all day. <laughs> 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 like, what is he plotting? <laughs> there's, there's, it didn't benefit me a lot because I wasn't a Christian yet um, when I was when I was doing that. But I, there is, there is purpose in silence and so you know now as I as I started doing it as I went on for a couple weeks you know as soon as I got out of the shower as soon as I like got done driving I had an, I had to have a notepad with me because I had all this stuff to write down I'd have all these thoughts that I you know I've been thinking about like people I needed to pray for and, and ideas for the lesson and ideas for all that I just had to write stuff down right away because there's all this stuff that I've been missing out on and I didn't even know I was missing it right I was sitting there praying in my car and, and my eyes open, obviously, but <laughs> not like a Jedi thing where you're like, oh, right, no, you're, but it, just surrendering that time and saying, I am not going, I don't need that in order to decompress from my hectic work day. I don't need that to recover from my kids running around the house screaming. I don't need that to, to forget about the argument I had with my wife, right? Like, I don't need that stuff. I don't have to. I don't need to fall back on that anymore. I've got something else to fall back on, and that was that was a very tangible thing. It was a very real thing for me in that time. And you know, trust fall in that in that sense. I love the, the picture of um, that Ashley brought up in, in her and RJ's class when she talked about like having to raise her hands, like like her dad was reaching down for her, and, and she had to like get up and get a little bit closer to him. Um, I love that as a dad. Like I. My, one of my favorite that my youngest daughter Emma loves riding on my shoulders because she likes like rubbing my beard, which is awesome. And uh, and but I, I love that. Like I love watching her walk up to me with her arms up and reaching down and, and seeing her smile as I lift her up is is the highlight of my day. And I think about that with God in prayer, you know, and that those times when I'm just quiet and just going to Him, and I, I have to raise my hands. I have to. I have to elevate my thoughts to him because he's reaching down for me and that blows my mind. It blows my mind that the God of the universe is reaching down for me and, and wants a relationship with me and wants to, to be with me. And so, 
um, silent drives, um, putting away your phones, right? Like, turn them off, put them in your pocket, leave them in another room. Um, you know, not doing whatever until you pray first. You know, sometimes when Crystal and I go a while and we haven't been doing a devotional together for a while, and we'll say, okay, we're not, from, for this month, you know, no watching TV until we've done a devotional together. And then if we're too tired after the depot, then we go to bed. And um, so it's motivational to get the kids to bed extra early so we're not too tired to watch our shows. Um, but, <laughs> but that that's a good tool. It's a good tool to say, I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to turn any media on unless I've had time with God today. It's, a, it's, a, it's again, it's something tangible. It's something you can wrap your head around and say, I'm, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to set this rule for myself. And it's not... So often when we when we say I'm like man I suck at prayer you know I, I can't do this we're like okay I'm gonna grind I'm gonna make myself pray right like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna conquer prayer and it's that's not what it is it's surrender it's saying I don't it's stripping away some of those other supports and trusting that God's gonna carry you through and, and when you haven't done that before you don't even know what that's gonna look like yet and so you're completely doing it on faith right like you're, it's it's surrender it's not saying I know that if I get rid of this. This is how it will work out. It's saying, I don't have any idea how I'm going to survive without these distractions and escapes. Um, but I trust that it is. I trust that he will, he'll catch me. And so stripping some of that away and allowing God to support us is, is huge and necessary. Um, you know, all the great followers of God were, were characterized by prayer. Jesus, um, again, you know, went off to solitary places to pray. Um, Daniel, who we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, when Nebuchadnezzar signs that petition that says, if you if you don't pray to me, if you pray to any other god, you will die. He had to pray. Right? That's nuts. And Nebuchadnezzar's like changed his mind all the time. Daniel could have been like, we'll see what he says next month. You know, maybe he'll have some different idea. But no, he, he he had to prayer was so central in his life and so necessary for him in that place, in Babylon. That even a death warrant, even a, a death order, would not stop him from praying. Um, I love, uh, there's a quote by Martin Luther I use a lot that I, I think is really cool. He says, I have so much busyness, I cannot get on without spending at least three hours daily in prayer. I'm so busy, I can't get by without spending at least three hours in prayer. I love that. Um, you know, in all these examples, the focus is on prayer, not on the person powering through it, on, on just relying on God. I can't handle my life without prayer. And so the, the goal of all of this is to align ourselves with God. One of the one of the things that's really helped me, I went through a really difficult time a few months ago. I'm um, still kind of in the midst of it. But I had some really difficult situations to deal with. And one of the prayers that I prayed all the time was, here we go. And here we go means I'm going to walk into this situation with a a behavior from God that is counterintuitive, and I'm going to trust that it's going to work. Right? I'm going to do something that seems to be that God has commanded, that seems to be against my best interest. And I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Here we go. And so I would walk into a room and um, and not defend myself when someone was sharing false information about me. I just eat it, just let it happen. I didn't go around and try to like recorrect everyone that that information got to and. And, and make sure they knew the truth. I, I just let it be. And that was really hard. Here we go. All right. They're going to do it. Let's let them do what they're going to do. 
I wouldn't, uh, when my lifestyle and my, my livelihood were threatened, I didn't fight tooth and nail for it. You know, the, the, everything in me is like, I, I've got a house, I've got kids here, I've got schools, I've got my church family, like I, I have my life here, and this life is good. Right, like I love this life. And it, when it was threatened, I had to decide because of my time in, in prayer and, and leaning on God in that moment that I knew that um, the right thing for me to do was to not fight that, to let it play out and, and see where it was taking me. And, um, and that was really hard. It was hard. And here we go. Let's, just, let's see where this goes. Um, you know, to, to lovingly challenge the people who were deciding about my livelihood. Um, you don't want to, when your boss is thinking about whether or not to let you go, you don't go to them and say, let me tell you about some things. <laughs> That's not a good plan. But I had to do it. I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's, let's do this. Um, and I, I see so many people in Scripture doing that. You know, Daniel and the exiles in Babylon, you know, challenging Nebuchadnezzar. Here we go. You know, David and, and others going into battle with a couple hundred dudes against an army of 10,000. How do you do that? How do you do, like, on a, on a real sense, how do you pick up your sword and charge into that mess? How do you steal yourself to do that? You can't. You cannot will yourself into that. Because you can't describe a scenario where that works out for you. You just say, here we go. And you dive in. It's surrender, not strength. Uh, prophets, you know, going into audiences that would persecute them. Uh, Jesus and and temptation at the cross. Here we go. Let's do this. Right? Like, I don't know how this is going to work out in the garden. I don't want this to happen. This makes no, if there's any, there's got to be, it makes no sense to me that there's not another way for this to get done besides me going up and being separated from you on the cross. That there has to be another way. But if there's not another way, here we go. Right? Let's do this. I surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. Um, and so, prayer is what gets us through those times. Prayer is, it doesn't keep you from the anguish. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything works out exactly right. You know, we still had a ton of mishaps and stuff went catastrophically wrong. And, you know, like, uh, things still go wrong. But there's a peace that defies understanding. It's, it's, it's trust and it's freedom from being strapped, having my emotional well-being strapped to all of those coincidences. Right? Like I am free from having to be bound to that stuff. Right? Because I am, I am being still and I know that God is God. And so um, the last thing I want to hit on is, is how do we keep that going? Because one of the, everyone knows, one of the biggest downfalls of lessons like this is you get really excited about it and pray really hard for a week and then you get distracted and a really good show comes back on. Right? Or uh, uh, you get really busy at work. <laughs> like, man, that's what happened. You know, you come back next year and they're teaching on prayer again. You're like, oh man, all right, this year. Um, how do we maintain? How do you maintain that thriving prayer life? Well, Lynn really covered most of it last night, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, but the mission is the only thing that will keep you engaged. Um, having a reason, having a purpose is the only thing that will get you engaged, that will keep you engaged. Prayer, like we talked about, is the process of learning to see through God's eyes and to want what He wants. What do God's eyes see when He looks at this world? He sees a world that is going through hell in this life and in the next life. 
right? That's what God sees in this world. The world that is dealing with hell right now and in the future. And what does God want? He wants everyone to be saved. And so if we're going to see the world through God's eyes, that's what we're going to see. And if we're going to want what God wants, that's what we're going to want. And unless we're engaging in that, then we're not going to feel that connection. We're not going to keep it up. You know, partnering with God in His, in his salvation work, working alongside Him in, in fighting for people's souls and loving on people that are really hard to love sometimes and letting them love on you when you're really hard to love sometimes. You know, it, it teaches us that, that, you know, for one, we are not enough to save anyone. And that all the power comes from God. When you are fighting for someone's soul, when you are at the end of your rope and then it just works, right? Like, I, that was not me, right? Like, I could never recreate that formula. Like, that was just God. And so it, it keeps you in prayer because you remember, I'm not enough. And if I'm going to keep doing this thing, God better be a pretty major part of it, right? And so it keeps us in prayer that way. It reminds us um, that there is change going on, and I must praise God for that. When you see the changes in people's lives, you can't help but praise you know, it says Christ's love compels us. I am compelled. I cannot stop praising Him because of the changes that I've seen in the lives around me. And so it brings us in prayer that way. And finally, only God, it reminds us that only God can provide me with enough energy to work in people's lives. Because people are exhausting. Right? I am exhausting to work with. People in general are exhausting to work with. And you will flame out if you don't have that connection with God. And so it, it reminds us of who's doing the work. It reminds us that there's awesome work being done. We need to praise Him for it. And it reminds us um, that He's the one providing the energy. And, and I, we need those reminders. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, 7 through 11, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Right? Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. God is always right. And we're trying to align ourselves with Him. The way we do that is to do His work. is to follow His lead. And when we do that, we stay connected. It's not just a weekend or a week-long thing. Uh, you know, prayer is our lifeblood. I, um, I, like I like to end my lesson a lot of times with blessings from Scripture. And so I'm just going to read this to you guys. Psalm 121. Uh, guys, this is what I, I pray, you know, going into this class, this is what I pray for everyone in this workshop, for everyone who came to this class, for, for my family. I just prayed this over and over. Psalm 121, it says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not stumble. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. Lord will protect your coming and going with now and forever. So he is there. He's there as a protector. He's there as our as our rescuer. By all the things we've been seeing about this weekend, he's there. Just reaching down. And we've just got to be still and know that he's God. Thank you guys.